to deliver your word so that your people, both Jews and Gentiles, who you've divinely called out to be one body and Messiah, can walk in unity in the faith that is based on the foundation of Yeshua. And we thank you, Almighty God, that you're building in our lives your word. And Father God, we just thank you for your word, which is everlasting. It is alive. It's there to correct, to confirm, to instruct, to build up, to show your compassion, and to reveal your plan for both us as individuals and as the extended messianic community, the body of Messiah, the bride of Messiah. And we look to you, O Ruach, you spirit of the living God, who dwells within each one of all God's children and brings the truth of God's word back to their memory. He brings confirmation in our hearts. What we hear and what we read, whether it is true or not. Because Yeshua said before he departed that he would send the great comforter, the spirit of the living God who would lead God's people into his truth. It's amazing today as we think about this. There's many voices. There's many truths out there. But what is our father's opinion? What is his son's opinion? What is the opinion of the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the living God? Are we adhering to that? Or are we being moved by every wind of doctrine and opinion of mankind? That truly is a question we have to address every moment and every day of our lives. So Father, I pray that you would impress your word upon our hearts, that we would study your true word. So anything that comes counterfeit either spoken or written, we would know the difference and we would see the red flags of the Ruach speak into our hearts, giving us warning and have nothing to do with these false teachings and false doctrines. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Continuing with the book of Acts, chapter 22. And beginning at verse 1. The acts of Yeshua's uh, emissaries, Shalakim, sent once. Brothers and fathers, listen to me as I make my defense before you now. When they heard him speaking to them in Hebrew, they settled down more. So he continued, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city and trained at the feet of Gamiel. And every detail of the Torah of our forefathers, I was a zealot for God as all of you are today. I persecuted to death the followers of the way, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. The Kohen Haggadol, the high priest, and the whole Sanhedrin can testify to this. Indeed, after receiving letters from them to their colleagues in Damascus, I was on my way there in order to arrest the ones in that city too and bring them back to Jerusalem, Jerusalem for punishment. As I was traveling and approaching Damascus around noon, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed all around me and I fell to the ground and heard the voice saying to me, Shaul, 
Shaul, why do you keep persecuting me? I answered, sir, who are you? I am Yeshua from Nazareth. He said to me, and you are persecuting me. Those who were with me did see the light, but they didn't hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told about everything that has been laid out for you to do. I had been blinded by the brightness of the light. So my companions led me by the hand to Damascus and a man named Hananiah, an observant follower of the Torah, who was highly regarded by the entire Jewish community there, came to me and stood beside me and said, Brother Shaul, see again. And at that very moment, I recovered my sight and I saw him. He said, the God of our fathers determined in advance that you should know his will and see his adik, his righteous one, and hear his voice because you will be a witness for him to everyone of those you have seen and heard. So now what are you waiting for? Get up and immerse yourself and have your sins washed away as you call upon his name. And after I returned to Jerusalem, it happened that when I was praying in the temple, I went into a trance and I saw Yeshua. Hurry, he said to me, get out of Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept what you have to say about me. I said, Lord, they know themselves that in every synagogue, I used to imprison and flog those who trusted in you. Also, that when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I was standing there too, in full agreement. I was even looking after the clothes of the ones who were killing him. But he said, get going, for I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. They had been listening up to the him at this point, but now they shouted at the top of their lungs, rid the earth of such a man, for he is not fit to live. They were screaming and waving their clothes and throwing dust in the air. So the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and directed that he be interrogated and whipped in order to find out why they were yelling at him like this. But as they were stretching him out with the thongs to be flogged, Shaul said to the captain standing by, Is it legal for you to whip a man who is a Roman citizen and hasn't even had a trial? When the captain heard that, he went and reported it to the commander. Do you realize what you're doing? This man is a Roman citizen. The commander came and said to Shaul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. The commander replied, I bought this citizenship for a sizable sum of money. But I was born to it, Shaul said. At once the men who had been 
about to interrogate him, drew back from him. And the commander was afraid too. Because he realized that he had put this man, who was a Roman citizen, in chains. However, the next day, since he wanted to know the specific charge of the Judean leaders were bringing against him, he released him and ordered the head koinim and the whole Sanhedrin to meet. Then he brought down Shaul and put him in front of them. There's a lot that's going on here. And with this, we see a man who has been falsely accused by his own people and brought before this assembled group. We must not forget that this was a high holy day, the celebration of Shavuot. Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, had been on this journey for days and weeks, if not months, to travel to this city of Jerusalem. And he was there to worship the Lord God, his king, which was appointed for him and every other Jewish male, whether they lived in the land of Israel or they were part of the diaspora. And so now he's before them. And he's giving testimony to them. And I believe his eyes are filled with compassion and grace and love. For he sees the majority of those who are assembled before him are lost. They are literally the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And his heart is broken. Why? Because he knows where he once was. A veil over his eyes, believing at the depth of his soul that everything he was doing, every word that he was speaking, was pleasant and bringing joy to Abba, Father God, who sits on his throne in heaven. His heart's desire was to please God. But he came to the full realization on the way to Damascus that when the Lord visited him, he wasn't doing what was pleasing in his sight. Yeshua had to arrest him in his mind and heart. He had to appear to him so that he could see God for who he is. Just at the time in your life when the Lord spoke to you directly, he orchestrated people to come into your life to minister to you, to share the love of God with you. So, Rav Shaul is doing this. And he understands their insults. He fully comprehends their false accusations. But what is welled up within him? Hatred? Revenge? Absolutely not. For he literally sees his own life being reflected in the life of these men who have a veil over their eyes and truly believe in the sincerity of their heart. What they're doing and what they're about to do is pleasing in Abba, Father God's sight, but it is not. 
When we think about Yeshua when he was brought before the high priest, did he not have to stand? Was he not persecuted? Was he not whipped and beaten? Did he not lay down his life so that the testimony of what he lived by was revealed as true when he rose from the dead? Then we fast forward to Stephen, do we not? A comparative between Yeshua, the Messiah, Stephen, who was a deacon, another Jew, who proclaimed the word of God, had the veil removed from his eyes, saw Yeshua for who he was, and he had his opportunity to be taken out and to lay down his life so that the good news of who Yeshua is could be ministered to those who had veils over their eyes. And what was his last words before he gave up his spirit? Father, do not allow this sin to be upon these men. Which echoed what? What Yeshua said upon the cross. Father, forgive them for they know what they do. So now we see before us another life of a Jewish man who once had a veil over his eyes and was literally persecuting Yeshua, literally. Because when this world touches God's children, he's, the world is touching the apple of God's eye. Whether you be Jew or Gentile, we are one in Messiah. So now let us go a little bit deeper here. Praise be to God. In verse number 21. But he said, now who's speaking here? Yeshua. Get going, for I'm going to send you far away to what? To the Gentiles. Verse 22. They had been, let's stop right there. I've got to back up here. Yeshua tells Shaul to leave Jerusalem because the Jewish people there will not respond to his message. Shaul immediately touts his Jewish credentials. And who's he arguing with? But Yeshua himself. Wait a second. I know the high priest intimately. I know the Sanhedrin. I was once a member of it. They know me. I was trained by Gamiel. This is a different time and setting. And it's amazing. As Shaul shares his credentials again later on, this he's being led by the Spirit of the living God. He's, his mouth is filled with the Spirit of the living God's words to share. So let us go forward here. Shaul was to leave Jerusalem because the Jewish people there will not to respond to his message. Shaul immediately touts out his Jewish credentials, objecting that the Jews of Jerusalem ought to accept what he says now because they now know how diligently he opposed the, the Messianic Jewish believers in the past. And where is that found? In Acts chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. Let's turn there really quickly. It's right next door. See, we're to look on scripture upon scripture, so we'll have what the proper interpretation of what God's word says. 
Acts 21, verses 4 and 5. Having searched out the Talmudim there, we remained for a week, guided by the Spirit. They told Shaul not to go up to Jerusalem. But when the week was over, we left to continue our journey. All of them, their wives and their children, accompanied us. And we were outside the town, kneeling on a bench and praying. We said goodbye to each other. And then we boarded a ship. And then we returned home. So now going forward here. But Yeshua repeats his command. Get going. Have you ever argued with the Lord? I have. Have you ever, the Lord showed you what provision you're to walk therein? But Lord, it's difficult. It's going to be hard for me. People will think I'm nuts. What will my wife say? What will my family say? Those are the times we simply need to do what? Receive the message from the Lord and simply get going. It's the Lord that calls us into his service. He fully equips us and he provides for us. And there are times when it's very difficult for our flesh to walk in God's provision because we have to count the cost. Let's go forward here now. Won't the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem, why won't the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem hear Shaul? Listen now. Because a believer having opposed the good news in the past is not what makes a non-believer believe. Absolutely. Have you ever went to members of your own Jewish family who have a veil over their eyes and you come up to them and say, I've studied in the Tanakh and I now know who the Messiah is. And then you utter those words. His name is Yeshua or Jesus. And what does your family think? You have literally lost your mind. In many families, they completely disown you. They ask you not to have anything to do with them. The Orthodox communities, you know what they do? They take your photo, they ask you to leave, they call the rabbi, the rabbi tries to intervene because his son and daughter has been brainwashed. And if you do not come back and renounce Yeshua or Jesus, they order a casket for you. But you're still alive. But you don't understand. You have become dead to them. They have a liberal funeral for you, though you're living. And you're not part of the family anymore. Have you caught? Have you counted the cost? Rav Shaul was literally laying out his life. He knew about Yeshua dying, raising from the dead. Isn't it beautiful? It's Yeshua himself that appears to him out of season after the resurrection. Speaks to him directly. There's no other emissary there alongside of him 
to strengthen and equip him. He gets it directly from Yeshua. That's how we know that he is one of those emissaries. As in his own words that he says, he was born out of time. Let's go forward here. Why don't Jewish leaders of Jerusalem hear Shaul? Because a believer having opposed the good news in the past is not what makes a non-believer believe. On the contrary, the believer's faith now outweighs everything else about him. You see, Rav Shaul's life had been completely transformed. He's now living for Yeshua. He's facing hardship, persecution, even death, time and time again to proclaim the good news. He's completely sold out. You know, in the 70s, there used to be a term that someone's on fire for God. Is this not man? Is he not on fire for God? And it's not just for one year or two years. This is many, many years. He's learned to put his trust in Yeshua going forward here. No matter how reasonable his beliefs seem to himself now, a believer cannot substitute his own stormy process of coming to faith for that of someone else. That's why people's testimonies, when someone comes to, to know the Lord, are precious. It's like we reach up to that individual that has a veil over their eyes and we simply just pull it down a little bit so they can just see above that veil as we share our testimony with them. Going forward here. Therefore, in instructing Shaul to get with his task of evangelizing Gentiles, in verse 21, Yeshua is saving Shaul years of fruitless endeavor, which would have been what? The outcome of following what? His own natural desire. Have you ever done that? As you've been walking with the Lord, all of a sudden, you kind of sidetracked. You go on this other path. And the Lord says to me, hey, Frank, where are you going? I'm right here. This is the way. But thanks, Lord. I got it from here. And we go off the path, and what happens? He lets our world get turned upside down, inside out, until we come back to him. Frank, you ready to go forward? Absolutely. So, now going forward with this. Yeshua is saving Shaul of years of fruitless endeavor, which which would have been the outcome of following his own natural desire to devote all his energy to winning his Jewish brothers. Do you want a little bit more insight on this? This is a passion of Rav Shaul. Have you ever met people with passion, with no wisdom and common sense? How many people who just first come to the Lord, and that person is a celebrity, what happens to them? They grab that person, people who should know better, and they put them behind a microphone, and they get burnt out because they're a born-again believer, the Spirit's living in them, but there's no depth to them. 
you can think of people that the Lord brought into his kingdom who are no longer walking in the kingdom of God and they deny Yeshua by their very existence. So let us look now to Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's deepest desire and my prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation. That was his heart's desire. We're hearing his own words, which has been anointed and appointed by the Ruach, the Spirit of the living God. For I can testify to their zeal for God, but it is not based on what? Correct understanding. Why? Because they're trying to serve the living God with a veil over their eyes. They have the Torah. They have the instruction. But they do not have Yeshua. They have part of it. In contrast, there's a lot of Christian people who've lived through the ages, who've focused on the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, to the point that they do not serve the living God. If you do not have the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the Brit Hadashah, if they're not one book to you, and they're interweaved with one another, then you're out of balance and you're not listening to the spirit of the living God. How can we interpret the book of Revelation without Daniel, Joel, etc.? Let's go forward here. But it is not based on correct understanding for since they are unaware of God's way of making people righteous. You meet any Jewish person today. They can be conservative, reform, orthodox, ultra-orthodox. They love the Torah, but they don't know God's way to salvation. The Torah points to Yeshua. Yeshua is Torah. But until they confess with their lips and believe in their heart that Yeshua both died as the Messiah, and rose from the dead. What did Yeshua say to Nicodemus? He said, you must be what? You must be born again. There is one way to the Father. It's through his Son. Let's go forward here. For since they are unaware of God's way of making people righteous, instead seek to set up their own What's rabbinical Judaism? It's Torah without Yeshua. Rabbi, how can you say that? That's the truth. In the Torah, God demands what? Sacrifices for temporary covering. Why did the Lord remove the temple? That's for 2,000 years now, over 2,000 years, my people could look and cry out to God. But what has happened? They've followed the opinions of the rabbis. Rabbi, how can you say that? Because they have not led them to Yeshua, who is life. Let's go forward here. 
For since they are unaware of God's way of making people righteous, instead seek, seek to set up their own, they have not submitted themselves to God's way of making people righteous. Who is the Apostle Paul speaking to in the Romans? Both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah. For the goal at which Torah aims is what? The Messiah. It all points to him. But our Jewish people are blind because they have a veil over their eyes and they just see the mitzvah and the commands. But they don't see Messiah. Because you cannot fulfill God's Torah without Yeshua making the way. He showed the way how a Jewish man or woman or child can fulfill Torah. It's through Yeshua and Yeshua only. His works, by his blood, by his sacrifice. Let's go forward here. For the goal, for the goal at which Torah aims is Messiah, who offers righteousness to everyone who what? Trust. Trust in what? Keeping the Torah? Keeping the mitzvot? Keeping the commands? No, puts their trust in Yeshua, having, therefore, standing and believing what he has done. He's our eternal, our eternal high priest, who not, did not offer but bulls and goats and lambs, but he offered his own body upon that altar. Let's go forward here. Verse 5. For Moshe writes about righteousness grounded in the Torah, that the person who does these things will obtain life through them. Moreover, the righteousness grounded in trusting says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. That is to bring Messiah down or who is to descend to Sheol. That is to bring Messiah up from the dead. What then does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word about trust, which we proclaim namely, that if you acknowledge publicly with your mouth, what are we supposed to acknowledge? I'm Torah observant. No. You are to publicly announce with your mouth that Yeshua is the Lord, and trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will be what? Delivered from what? Your sins. What did Rav Shaul, who had the veil over his eyes, had to acknowledge? That this Yeshua, whom he was persecuting literally, through Stephen and others that followed, he had to come to a breaking point to acknowledge that Yeshua both died and rose from the dead because he saw him face to face. And he's a living testimony that that is a fact. He was not in a trance when that happened to him. It was in the daytime. He was wide awake. Let's go, go forward here. Verse 10. For with the heart one goes on trusting and thus continues towards righteousness. And with the mouth one keeps making public acknowledgement of what? That Jesus, Yeshua died and he rose from the dead. Going forward here. 
For the heart, one goes on trusting and thus continues towards righteousness, while with the mouth, one keeps on making public acknowledgement that thus continues towards deliverance. For the passage quoted says that everyone who rests his trust upon him, not mitzvot, not the commands, not your good deeds, are you resting on him? will not be what? Humiliated. Who should we be most concerned about humiliating and being humiliated? God the Father. He's prepared the way. It's through Yeshua and Yeshua only. Verse 12, that means that there is no difference between what? Jew or Gentile. Adonai is the same for everyone, rich toward everyone who calls upon him. Since everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? They will be delivered from what? Their difficulties? Their sorrows? They will be delivered from their sins. Salvation in God. But now, how can they call upon someone if they have not trusted in him? And how can they trust in someone if they haven't heard about him? How can they hear about someone if no one is proclaiming him? Are we proclaiming him? And how can people proclaim him unless God sends them? You've all been called to proclaim the good news about the hope that's in you. Do you believe it? Are you trusting and, re and relying on the results? Not on your own personal testimony, but on the power and equipping of the Ruach HaKodesh to change that person's heart, to break them down to the point where they cry out to God. If you're truly there, God, show me. Remove this veil from my eyes so I can see your glory. So I can see you, that I can know you. Going forward here, verse 14, but how can they call upon someone if they haven't trusted in him? And how can they trust in someone if they haven't heard about him? And how can they hear about someone if no one's proclaiming him? And how can people proclaim him unless God sends them? As the Tanakh are you listening, my Jewish brothers and sisters on the podcast? Are you hearing this word? It's not my word. As the Tanakh puts it, how beautiful are the feet of those announcing the good news about good things. The problem is that they haven't all paid attention to the good news and obeyed it. For Yeshiahu, who is Isaiah says, Adonai, who has trusted what he has heard from us. So trust comes from what it is heard, and what is heard comes through the word proclaimed about Messiah. But I say it isn't it rather that they didn't hear. No, they did hear. Did not Moses say one is coming from your own brethren, a prophet unto myself, and you must not only hear him, but obey him. Their voice has gone out throughout the whole world and their words to the ends of the earth. But I say, isn't it rather that Israel didn't understand? 
I will provoke you to jealousy over a non-nation, over a nation void of understanding. I will make you what? Angry. The Jewish people who have the veil over their eyes will be provoked to anger and jealousy when they see the manifest power of God, his glory, living in a mixed nation of both Jews and Gentiles, one and Messiah. And it will drive them literally crazy to the point where they'll cry out to God and say, why do they walk with you? Why do I see the Ruach, the spirit of the living God dwelling in them and not me? Why do I hear the heroes of faith, Moses, David, all who knew you intimately, but I don't know you? Have I not honored your Torah? Have not I fulfilled your mitzvots? You get them to that point. God revealed yourself to me. Moreover, Yeshua Isaiah Boli says, I was found by those who were not looking for me. And I became known to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I held out my hands to my people. Yeshua is doing that today to his people. All day long, I held out my hands to my people, to a people who keep disobeying and contradicting. We love to argue, do we not? So that kind of gives us a little bit of background here. Surely Shaul's earthly wisdom would have led him to a specific mission that Yeshua had designed for him. He had to set aside his own thinking, the old ways of doing things, and he had to trust Yeshua. Going forward here to verse number 22. They had been listening to him up to this point, but now they shouted at the top of their lungs, rid the earth of such a man, he's not fit to live. Going forward here in the last portion of, of verse 22, Yeshua says to him, I'm going to send you far away to the Goim, to the nations. The Messianic community in Jerusalem sent Shaul home to Tarsus. You can read this on your own in Acts Chapter 9, verse 30, where some, there were some 13 years he had had the opportunity to what? To proclaim the good news to both what? Jews and Gentiles. Because Rav Shaul, the apostle Paul, was what? He was born in the diaspora in Tarsus, which is present-day Turkey. Later, this, with this experience behind him, he set out to proclaim the good news and reach non-Jews throughout the eastern Mediterranean area. Let's continue here. Praise be unto God. So verse 22. They had been listening to him up to this point, but now they shouted at the top of their lungs, rid the earth of such a man, for he is not fit to live. The objection was to Shaul's message, which grants Gentiles what? Equality with Jews as part of God's people. I'll quote this verse for you. It's Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. And I'd like you to read to 22 
We're not going to turn there, otherwise this message would go on for the next two hours. And we don't want that to take place. This is what the objection proved. Now we'll continue here in verse 23. They were screaming and waving their clothes and throwing dust in the air. Acts 22, verse 23. So the commander ordered him brought into the barracks and directed that he be interrogated and whipped in order to find out why they were yelling at him. Verse 25. But as they were stretching him out with the thongs to be flogged, Shaul said to the captain standing by, Is it legal for you to whip a man who is a Roman citizen and hasn't even had a trial yet? So here we see that, the, that, that with their waving of their clothes... This gave their anger a visible demonstration. Why? Because they were in the temple courts. There were no loose stones there for them to grab and start hurtling towards Rav Shaul. So they were now throwing the dust in the air. This is based by those who have lived in the Middle East. Is that dust was not thrown in the air vaguely or ceremonially, but purposely and vigorously in Shaul's direction. They wanted to get at him, but why? They couldn't. Why? Because the Romans were protecting him. Because what did they want not to happen? All of a sudden, there are Roman soldiers who are attacking Jewish men on the Temple Mount. What's going to happen? There are millions of men with their families from the diaspora celebrating Shavuot. What could have happened? a bloodbath could have erupted. And that's what the commander wants to quell. He doesn't want this to happen because it's on his watch. And Rome, the emperor in Rome, is watching what is happening here. He can't literally see it, but through correspondence, he'll find out what happened and he will hold everyone accountable for what they've done. Going forward here, verse 24 the commander is still convinced that Shaul must be a dangerous criminal. Since he had not understood Shaul's message, you know why? Because he spoke it in Hebrew. So how was that commander to know what he was even talking about? But he sees the outcome. He sees that the high priest has literally become unglued and the Sanhedrin, and they want to get at this guy. And they're not afraid of Rome at this moment. So the commander has to act. Going forward here. As in Philippi, recorded in Acts 36 through 40. I ask you to read that in the future. So I'll say it a second time. Acts 16, 36 through 40. Shaul makes full use of his legal rights, not merely to save his hide, but also to protect the honor of what the good news Remember he and Silas, they were arrested and they were beaten with rods and they were put in stocks, right? And what happened later? That the rulers said, oh, go ahead and release them. But they said, no, we're not going anywhere. We're Roman citizens. What happened to the leaders? They literally freaked out because they knew that if Rome heard about this, their lives could be extinguished any moment. Any Roman citizen, you had a right to have a trial before any affliction came upon your body. So going forward here, both the whipping 
Him and binding him in chains in Acts 21.19 would violate his rights as a Roman citizen. Since Shaul had not been charged, nor had the commander informed the grounds of his charge, whipping Shaul was saving the commander who had been liable. By questioning the whipping of, of Shaul was saving the commander as well as himself from very unpleasant experience. See, this could not be there wasn't Facebook at that time. It couldn't be hidden. The truth could not be manipulated. The press, the media could not change the truth. Going forward here. In verse 26, when the captain heard that, he went and reported to the commander. And don't, do you realize what you are doing? This man is a Roman citizen. The commander came and said to Shaul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. The commander replied, I bought this citizenship for a sizable sum. But Rav Shaul's reply was, but I was born to it, Shaul said. At once the men who had been about to interrogate him drew back from him, and the commander was afraid too because they realized that they had put this man who is a Roman citizen in what? In chains. However, verse 30, the next day, since he wanted to know the specific charge of the Judean leadership, were bringing against Shaul, the apostle Paul, he pressed him and ordered the head koinim and the whole Sanhedrin to meet. Then he brought Shaul down and put them in front of him. So Shaul's re reply is yes, it is certainly true, I am a Roman citizen. So summary, summary death awaited anyone falsely claiming to be a Roman citizen. You could be put to death. Verse 30. The only way the commander now could find the grounds for holding Shaul is now what? To receive accusation from others. In this case, which Rome recognized as a legal body, both spiritual and legal body, over the nation of Israel, which was what? The Sanhedrin. Shabbat Shalom. This message is now complete. We will start on, on, on chapter 23 at another time. Blessed be the name of the Lord.